Hey, it's a wet and soggy autumn day. We're glad that you're here. Very grateful for your presence. We're going to be looking at Psalm 78. Psalm 78 in our study today as we think about the theme as the home goes, so goes the nation. And we'll be talking about that in a moment or two. I do want to express appreciation for your presence today. If you are visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We're so grateful that you've chosen to come today. I know that you could be a lot of different places, but we're very glad that you have chosen to be here this morning. Very grateful for that. In our study today, as we look at Psalm 78, we're going to be talking about a subject that ought to be of great concern to us, and it has to do with the home. And as the title suggests, as the home goes, so goes the nation. I want to submit to you today that our nation is in trouble. It doesn't take an Einstein to realize the problems that we are facing in our country. Many people have written about the problems that exist in modern America. And yet when we think about the trouble facing our nation today, I want to say that the reason our nation is in trouble is because the home is in trouble. So with that in mind, I want us to look at Psalm 78 for a moment or two. If you have a Bible, I want you to read with me. As we listen to what the writer said many, many centuries ago, as it relates to the home, there are two things that we want to do in our study today. The first is to really just draw attention to the problem. And then secondly, talk about the prescription. Let's think about the problem. And there are really two problems, as I see it, the children of Israel faced in the long ago. The writer here is seeking to overcome the problems that people have in the home. And so we begin by thinking about this problem. The first problem the children of Israel faced in the long ago was disobedience. Listen, if you would, to what the writer said down in verse 8. He talks about the children of Israel and he said that they may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Now listen to him in verses 10 and 11. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown. Drop down, look at verse 37. For their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful to his covenant. By way of illustration, let me just cite two things for you as we think about the disobedience of the children of Israel. First, you remember back in Exodus chapter 32, Aaron had fashioned a golden calf for the children of Israel. They questioned what had happened to Moses. Moses, of course, was on the mountain. He had received, as we know, the Ten Commandments, graven on stone. 
And so they demonstrated really an unfaithful heart before God. And then later in their history, over in Numbers chapters 13 and 14, we read of God instructing Moses to send out 12 spies to survey the land of Canaan. And you know that two spies came back and gave a favorable report, Joshua and Caleb. And they said to the people, we are well able to go in and take the land. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. But the other 10 spies gave an unfavorable report. And because of that, the children of Israel began to murmur, to complain. Chapter 14 says that they wanted to identify a leader and go back to Egypt. And so God said in the long ago, I will disinherit them. And you well know that those who were 20, the age of 20 and above, were destined to perish in the wilderness. They dwelt 40 years in the wilderness. And they were prohibited from entering the promised land. And so as the writer said, you can go back and look at the history of Israel. It was one of, really, a sordid past. They were unfaithful. They lacked faith in many respects. And as a result of that, they paid a heavy price. Now, there's a second thing I want you to note. Not only were the children of Israel disobedient, but the Bible says that they were delinquent. Now, listen again to what the psalmist said in the long ago. Note, if you would, verse 4. We will not hide, that is, God's law, from their children telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. Two things here. First, the responsibility resting upon the children of Israel. You well know that God in the long ago decreed that they were to take his law and put that law into the hearts and lives of their children. Now, just very quickly, turn back with me, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy. And listen to what Moses said in chapter 6. And we talk about safeguards for the future. And laying a foundation so that our children and their children and then their children can enjoy a good life. So in verse 1 he said, This is a commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you. You and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Note if you would, emphasis on teaching, not just the children but also the grandchildren. And then he said, therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. 
Did you see that Moses here said that if you will teach your children and grandchildren, if you will instruct them in the ways of God, it will be well with you. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I commend you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Now let's just pause there. Grave responsibility resting upon parents. And Moses here is saying on behalf of God, look, you have the responsibility of teaching future generations, instructing them in my ways, in my will, in my word. And if you'll do that, God said it will be well with you. In other words, you'll be blessed. Now, we think about the responsibility, but I want you to see something else, and that is their irresponsibility. The psalmist is reminding them, the children of Israel, that you need to take God's word and plant that into the hearts and lives of young people. Teach future generations. And sadly, the children of Israel did not listen. I said just a moment ago that they were disobedient, and they were. They were disobedient when it came to teaching future generations. Not only were they disobedient, but they were delinquent. If you go back and look at Judges chapter 2, you remember God in the long ago talked about the faithfulness of Joshua, the successor to leadership among the children of Israel. He succeeded Moses, the great leader and lawgiver. And God said that the people were faithful during the days of Joshua. They were faithful during the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. But he said there arose another generation in Israel that knew not the Lord nor yet the great works which he had done in Israel. And the Bible says in verse 11, they forsook the Lord. Why do you think that occurred? Why do you think they became unfaithful to God? Let me just say this. Because mamas and daddies did not do their job. They did not take God's word, plant that into the hearts and lives of young people. And so, future generations went untaught. A little bit later in history, Hosea, the prophet of God, in chapter 4 of his book, identifies the spiritual problem existing among the children of Israel in the long ago. He said there's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. There was no excuse. Why? Because God had told them, I want you to take my word and I want you to teach, the, to teach it diligently to your children. And yet they failed to do that. So what about the byproduct of their actions? We talk about the consequences of turning a deaf ear to God. Well, Hosea chronicles the problems. He said there is swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery. He said, with bloodshed after bloodshed, they break all restraint. In verse six, he said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 
In chapter 8, verse 7, he said, they've sown to the wind and they'll reap the whirlwind. In chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I have given unto them the great things of my law. But they were, they were considered a strange thing. Now you just think about that for a minute. The very people of God that had enjoyed all of these great blessings and favors, God had been so good to them, lavishing upon them blessing after blessing after blessing. And God is saying, look, if you'll just do what I say, life will be good. They turned a deaf ear to him. They ignored his law. They enjoyed the beneficiary. They were the beneficiaries of the oracles of God. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter three. And yet Hosea said, my word is considered a strange thing among you. Now if you go back and look at chapter four, what Hosea is saying, when people turn a deaf ear to the word of God, when they abdicate his word, his will, and his ways, the bottom line is anarchy results. So what about that, Hosea? Well, they're swearing and lying and killing and stealing, committing adultery, with bloodshed after bloodshed, as he said, they break all restraint. Is that not a commentary on modern day America? Is it not? Pick up the newspaper. Read the commercial appeal. Look at the New York Times. Read the Tribune. Go from city to city all across this nation and look at the problems that are well documented. And why? I'll tell you why. Because as a country, as a nation, we think we know better than God. The devil has sold us a bill of goods that is false to the core. We have removed God from our homes. As a result, the nation is in trouble. Let me just share with you some statistics that are absolutely incredible. Did you know that Crime in public schools has escalated increasingly through the years. In 2014, the number of public schools reporting violent incidents, listen to this, was 65%. Violent incidents include rape, sexual battery other than rape, physical attack or fighting without a weapon, threat of attack without a weapon, and robbery without a weapon. In 2015, 51.7% of those 12 and older used alcohol. Over 50% in our nation. And 24.9% engaged in what has been called binge drinking. In 2015, it was reported that in grades 9 through 12, listen to this, 41.2% have engaged in sexual intercourse. It's our young people. The legal, legalization of same-sex marriage has added another dimension to the deterioration of the home as we know it. According to a 2018 report from the Bureau of Justice Statistics, nearly 2.2 million adults were held in America's prisons and jails at the end of 2016. Did you know that in America we have the highest incarceration rate in the world? 
Staggering. Let me share with you some other statistics. Pew Research reports four in ten Americans think marriage is obsolete. It's out of date. We don't need it. It's also reported 22% of married men, 14% of married women have committed adultery at least once. Four in ten marriages in the U.S. involve remarriage of some type. The U.S. Census Bureau states 18 million Americans are cohabitating with an unmarried partner. Approximately one half of those cohabitating are under the age of 35. The number among those above the age of 50 has risen, listen to this, has risen 75%. You tell me we're not an immoral country today. To the core. To the absolute core. Did you know that 90% of boys and 60% of girls have been exposed to pornography by the age of 18? 56% of divorces involve one spouse having an obsessive interest in online porn. And listen to this. Porn sites attract more visitors each month than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined. What does that say to us? What does it say about our country? I'll tell you what it says. That we are rotten to the core. Do you hear what I'm saying? We are rotten to the core. And why? I can tell you why. Because as the home goes, so goes the nation. If the home is in trouble, the nation will be in trouble. Our nation is in trouble because our homes are in trouble. Right? Right? That's right. The nation is in trouble because the home is in trouble and the only way to rectify the wrongs in this nation is to rectify the home. That's it. And you know what it, you know what it says to me? It says it begins with us. With us. It has to begin with us. So we talk about the problem. What about the prescription? How do we change the direction of our nation? If we're going to change the direction of our nation, then we have, to, we have to change the direction of the home. Is there a prescription? Yes, there is. Is it possible for us to turn the ship around? I think it is. I think it's going to entail some major changes. Let me just share with you some of the things that I believe the psalmist suggests. Number one, we need to remind the next generation of God's work. Drop down if you would and look at verses 12 and 13. Here the writer speaks of the power of God. In verses 14 through 16, he addresses the provisions of God. Marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the land of Zoan, the capital of Egypt, when they came out of bondage. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the water stand up like a heap. In the daytime also he led them with the cloud and all the night with a light of fire 
He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Now back up and look at verse 4. He said, we will not hide them, God's precepts, from our children. Telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. Do you not think as parents and grandparents today that we ought to be able to give some rock solid reasons why God is worthy of our praise and adoration in life? Could the children of Israel not look back in history and think about, okay, God has been so good to us. His power demonstrated in leading us out of Egyptian bondage. His provisions were so abundant, he took care of every single need. Can we not as parents and grandparents look back and say, you know what, God has been so good to us. He's blessed us. He's given us so many wonderful things in this life. Can't we echo with the psalmist, bless me the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings? Can't we give God the praise and glory that he deserves because of how good he has been to us? That he's worthy of our praise? That's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, look, as mamas and daddies and grandparents, you need to be able to tell your children, here is why we serve God. Here is why he is worthy of our praise because of how good he's been to us. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study. And that is we must remind the next generation of God's word. And there are two things here. I think as parents and grandparents, we have to tell our children. Let me just back up and ask this. Do you want your children to enjoy a good life, yes or no? You do, don't you? Would you say as a parent that you want to give your child the best life possible, yes or no? Yes. Well, what about a blessed life? Do you want your children to be blessed? You do, don't you? Look, if you want your children to have the best and the blessed life, it all begins where? Right here in God's Word. Do you remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 when God talked about how parents and parent or really children and grandchildren were to be instructed in the word of God. And the reason was he said that it may be well with you, that you enjoy a good life. Look, I don't know any parent today that wants to see his or her child suffer in life. I don't think that we want to see our children living lives of hurt, and sorrow, and shame, and guilt. But if we do not teach them God's word, instructing them and pointing them in the direction of heaven, tough times will follow. The psalmist in the long ago said in Psalm 119, 161, great peace have those who love your law. You want your child to have the best life and the blessed life, then teach them this book right here. You teach them God's word. And you tell them you want to enjoy a good life, you follow this word and I promise you right now, you'll have a good life. You ignore this book, you turn your, you turn your ear from it, let me tell you what, you're going to face some tough times. Now, I'm not saying that just because we're Christian, because we are a Christian family, that we're not 
exempt from trial and tribulation and temptation and suffering. But I am saying if we do what God says, we will enjoy the best life and a blessed life. Do you believe that? I believe that. Let me tell you what, there are a lot of folks in our world today, they have a cursed life. And you know why? Because they have been following the devil who is identified by Jesus as the father of lies. The devil does not want you to live for God. He doesn't want your children to live for God. He doesn't want your grandchildren to follow the word of God. Why? Because that's going to be too good. It's going to be a blessed life. He doesn't want that. Could I suggest to you in our study today, let me just share with you some things that I think we need to tell our children. It's right out of the Bible. Number one, as parents and grandparents, we need to stress to our children, listen to me, the permanence of marriage. Marriage involves one man, one woman for life. For life. Jesus said, what therefore God has joined together, listen to him, let not man put asunder. One man, one woman for life. There is a leaving and cleaving process and that is when the, when the children get to a certain age and they decide they want to get married, then they cut that apron string and they live separate lives and they commit to one another, come what may. We are in this thing for the long haul. We don't divorce the first time problems come up. You live long enough and you're going to have some problems. But you just ride it out. Why? Because you made a commitment not to just your partner but to Almighty God. To God. One man, one woman for life. We've got a lot of folks in our world today. They trade partners like we trade cars. Make a mockery of marriage. The very idea. Number two, we must assume or reassume spiritual leadership. That means as a father, it's time for me to man up and be the spiritual leader that God has instructed me to be in my home. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And this idea of being a deadbeat dad, a delinquent dad, that has no place in Scripture. No place for it in the Bible. And I see these guys out here today fathering child after child after child out of wedlock. Where in the world did you come up with that idea? This idea of cohabitating without the benefits of marriage. Paul said that the younger women are to marry and then bear children, not the reverse. People today, you know why people today live like they live? Because they don't know what the Bible says, right? Am I on to something or am I missing the boat? Number three, be an example. And that is, as a parent, be a Christ-like example. Paul said, be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Could I say something that may hurt? You know why our children don't have faith today? 
Do you know why they're not consecrated to God? Because as mamas and daddies, we don't have faith. And because we're not consecrated to God. That's why. Look, if God doesn't mean enough to us to come back on Sunday night, Wednesday night, if God doesn't mean enough to us to put him first in our lives, then why in the world would we ever think our children are going to be on fire for the Lord? Do you remember what Paul, or rather what Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Let me give you another thing. Another tip. We need quality family time, don't we? Quality family time. Time that involves listening, learning, loving, and leading. And you can't get that running all over the city in separate cars, living separate lives. How much time do you spend as a family unit together? I suspect that for many, just a few minutes a day, Number five, our children need discipline and structure in the home. They need discipline and structure in the home. And they don't have it right now in this nation. If you don't believe me, go to Walmart. Go to Kroger. Let me tell you what, the tail is wagging the dog. And when I was growing up, my dad let me know in no uncertain terms, I am, listen to me, the boss. And the buck stops here. And he meant it. And let me tell you what, if I got out of line, he tore me up. He ripped me up. And I needed it. And there's some kids today, they need their backside torn up. They really do. Now I'm not saying, look, I'm not trying to get on the, on the wrong side of the young folks because I've been there too. But I'm just saying, read the scriptures. Discipline is mandatory. Number six, we must teach respect for authority. Our children do not learn to respect authority in the home. They will never respect authoritative figures in school, in the government, much less God's word. And number seven, and this is a biggie. There needs to be zero tolerance. Please hear me. Zero tolerance when it comes to alcohol and illegal substances. And if as a mama or a daddy you have beer in your refrigerator right now, shame on you, you need to pour that junk down, down the drain. How in the world can we expect our children to not use alcohol if we use it? That's inconsistent. There is a third and final thing I want to share with you very quickly. I know our time is gone. We need to remind the next generation of God's will. Remind the next generation, number one, to love the Lord. 
to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, as Jesus said in Matthew 22. We must remind the generation to come to live, to live for the Lord. As Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We must teach the generation to come to be a light for the Lord because Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And we, meet, we need to teach our children, the next generation, to labor for the Lord, to live for Him and labor for Him and to love Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. To labor not for the meat which perishes, but that for that which endures to everlasting life recognize that there's something far greater than the world in which we now live. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your love and care. We're grateful for the privilege that we have to live in such a great nation. We're thankful for all of the freedoms that we enjoy. And Father, as blessed as we are, we fall miserably short of your word. And Father, we pray that as your people, that we will be a light in this world and that we will set the tone for the home in this nation. And as a result of our teaching and the way we live, that we'll attract others to be followers of you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to close today by saying if you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ because Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, the Son of God. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would be willing to repent of your sins, confess his name before others, be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away, then God will put you in the church, Acts chapter 2. If you're faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life. It might be that you're here today and your life's not what it ought to be. And you need the prayers of the church. It might be that because of the way you have lived that you brought shame and reproach on the name of Christ. And you'd like us to pray with you and for you and God will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1, 9. If you're here today and you need the prayers of the church, and listen, we're here to help, not hurt. If you need the prayers of the church, won't you come, and, won't you come as we stand and sing? <clears throat>